Amen. Hey, if you would, grab your Bible, turn with me to Exodus 33. If you don't have a Bible, there's a, a Bible in a seat back in front of you. Get a copy of God's Word in front of you. Every single time we gather, we get God's Word open because when God's Word speaks, God speaks, and that's what we need desperately to hear today. Um, um, I, I want to start with a question, and anytime I start with a question, it can seem a bit rhetorical, but I actually want you to process and, and seek to, to, to bring an answer to your heart today on this question. And the question is this, if you could have God's blessing in your life without his presence in your life, would you be okay with that? If you could have God's blessing in your life without his presence in your life, would you be okay with that? And now you might go, you can't tease those things apart, but, but, but this question wasn't merely theoretical for God's people as we find them here in Exodus chapter 33. This was a very real question for the Israelites as God commands them to soon pack up and uh, pack up camp and begin heading toward the promised land. I, I want you to look in your Bibles at uh, what they are confronted with as Exodus 33 begins. And the word of God says this, Exodus 33 verse 1, it says, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go from here, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So think about what, what God has promised here. Right away, we're confronted that God has promised to his people an angelic escort. He will send an angel before them to lead their way. He has promised protection against their enemies. The Lord has said, uh, uh, you will drive them out. I will go before, uh, there, there will be an angel going before you. You will drive out all of the ites, all of these enemies. And then the Lord has promised plentiful, plentiful provision. He says, I, I'm taking you into a land flowing with milk and honey. God is promising what often people would look at as great blessing. But there's one deeply distressing statement. And what is that statement? He's not, he's not going with them. So I ask again, if you could have God's blessings on your life without his presence going with you in your life, would we be okay with that? Now, would the Israelites move forward going, okay, if we have all of these things and God has promised all these things, we'll move forward? Or will they see what God has said here is absolutely devastating? And they see the devastation. Look at verse 4, what it says here. When the people heard this, and what's it say in your Bible? When the people heard this what? This disastrous word. They know this is disastrous. To not have the presence of God with them is 
utterly disastrous. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now... Take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onwards. So God's people then knew they they couldn't move one step forward if God's presence wasn't going with them. The moment they hear, I don't care if there's an angel going before us. I don't care if we'll have protection from all our enemies. I don't care if we're going into a land that's, that's abundant and plentiful and flowing with milk and honey. If God will not go with us, we cannot move. We can't go one step forward. And we must know that in our lives equally as convictional here today. And thus, the big idea of the message today is simply this. Our greatest need is for God's presence to go with us. Come on, church. You with me on that? That's our greatest need. Our greatest need today is for the presence of God. We have come to church today not to be entertained by good bands, not, to be, uh, not for our ears to be tickled by a good message. And I can't even guarantee you a good message here today, okay? We are here for the presence of God. Life is not ultimately, our greatest need in life isn't ultimately what God can give us. It's not ultimately what God can do for us. Our greatest needs lie in Him going with us. And today, as we look in Exodus 33 and 34, I want to show us five reasons we're desperate. We're desperate. Come on, church, say it. We're desperate. We're desperate for God's presence in our lives. And so I want to pray for us. I want to get, bring us to a place of desperation in this prayer. And then we want to look at these five things from what God's word says today. Father, we are desperate for your presence. Lord, who are we without you? Lord, why are we here except to, to glorify you? Lord, we are desperate for you today. Lord, some of us walk in the room here today and the circumstances of our life bring our desperation uh, readily apparent before us this morning. God, others of us, Lord, uh, our hearts will need reminded today. Our hearts will need worked up today to see how desperate we are for this reality that you will go with us and we desperately need you to go with us. And so God, I pray As we're here today, would you meet us here? Would your presence um, be pleased to come down, Lord, and commune with our hearts in a way that changes us walking out of here? I ask you for that, Lord. Please do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the Lord has said, it's time to begin to pack up camp. It's time to begin moving towards the promised land. I'll send an angel before you. I'll drive out your enemies. I'll bring you into this land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not coming. And now Moses is going to intercede on behalf of the Lord. But before we get to specifically what Moses is going to intercede, uh, we, there's some commentary on what would happen as Moses met with God. And it's a remarkable, remarkable scene. Look at what it says in verse 7, Exodus 33, verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. 
And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out uh, to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Is this remarkable or what? I mean, if you really, like if we'll really take the words on Patreon, we'll really let that cast a vision and a picture in our brain of what is happening here. This description of how Moses went to meet with the Lord and how the Lord came down to meet with Moses, it's, remar it's a remarkable scene. Now, a couple of things on this. Uh, this tent of meeting isn't to be confused with the tabernacle. The tabernacle, after it's constructed, throughout Scripture is sometimes referred to as the tent of meeting. This was before the tabernacle had been constructed. This was a tent Moses would take out, as it says, outside of the camp. He would enter. The pillar of cloud would come down. The Lord would speak to Moses and all the people back at their tent doors, when they saw the, the tangible expression of the presence of the Lord come down, they would go crazy and worship standing outside of their own tent doors. This was remarkable. And as the worship of the people went up, God's glory would come down. And there's more on that. We'll see in this later. But then this statement towards the end of this section here, and it's a bit of a foreshadowing of who would lead the people after Moses died. It says, Joshua would not depart from the tent. Probably a couple of things. One, a longing to not depart from this kind of manifest presence of the Lord. And secondly, also, he probably had responsibilities to keep this temporary tent of meeting for Moses. And so we get this description of how God and how Moses met. But now we look to the contents. What is it that Moses is going to say or intercede on behalf of the people in light of this news that God has just said. Look at what, where Moses begins in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you. In order to find favor in your sight, consider, too, that this nation is your people. Why are we desperate? For the presence of God, we're looking at five reasons we're desperate for the presence of God today. The first I'll give us is this. We're desperate for God's presence because we need to know him more and more. 
Now, I, I want us to see the connection between what the scriptures call the disastrous word God had said, and I want us to see the connection, because it's really interesting, actually, of, of, of the first thing Moses pleads back to God. God has said, the disastrous word God said is, I'm not going. But notice that the first thing Moses says in pleading back to him isn't, oh, okay, God, how, how do we get you to come with us? Like, if this was me and God said, Brock, I'm not going with you, in my pragmatism, I'd be like, God, what do I have to do for you to come with us? But that's not the first place Moses actually goes. No, Moses says, show me now your ways. Why? That I may, that I may what? That I may what? that I may know you. Why? In knowing you, we may find favor in your sight. See, Moses rightly understands something. God's refusal to go with them is due to the fact that they are not properly walking in his ways. There's something broken in their knowing him. There's something broken in their fellowshipping with him. There's something broken in their communing with him. And so Moses wisely, he doesn't start where I would have started. He doesn't start by focusing on their symptoms of their not knowing God, namely that God has said he's not going. He instead wants to start with the root. God, take us to the root. God, show us your ways. Why? so that we know you. Why? So that we receive your favor. Why? Because then you, Lord, will delight in dwelling with or going with. This is so important for us, is it not? We've called this series, this whole study on the book of Exodus, of which we're coming down to the very end, we've called this whole series, Delivered to Dwell that God desires to deliver his people out of their bondage so he can dwell with them in communing, fellowshipping harmony. Our worship team has written a beautiful song by this title that we've sang throughout this series. God, hear it now, God desires to dwell with his people. He is a God who's not distant, but he seeks to commune with us. When he made man and woman, his desire was to walk in unbroken fellowship. And then once sin entered the world, he's made a way for us to walk again in fellowship with him through redemption, through pardoning of our sin. God desires us to know his ways so we can walk in his ways. So we can know him more and more and we can enjoy the joy of a life communing with him. Let me say that again. So that we can actually enjoy the joy of a life communing with him. So that we can enjoy the joy of a life fellowshipping with him. So we can enjoy the joy to use the picture Jesus used of a vine and branches. So we can enjoy the joy of a life abiding with him. He desires to dwell with us. That we would know that today. That that would truly grip our hearts today. And so our desperation for his presence is a desire to know him. Like really know him. Not just know about him. 
Not just try to decode this God in a way that if we push the right moral buttons, he becomes a cosmic vending machine to give us what we want. But the joy of life with God is ultimately in knowing God. Think about what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, and I love this. And if, when you read this section of a Philippians, you can hear the angst, the desire in his voice. He says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he, he kind of, there's a dash there, and then he explodes into this, this declaration that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oh, that we would yearn for the presence of God. Why? Because we want to know him more and more. And so we're desperate for God's presence because we need to know him more and more. And after Moses says this, God replies. He replies to Moses' pleading with the most hope-giving words, Moses could have heard. Look at verse 14. And he said, this is God speaking, and God said, my presence will go with you. And then this is interesting. And I will give you what? I will give you rest. We're desperate for God's presence because we need to know him more and more. Secondly, we long to receive his rest. All in favor of the soul rest God gives, say aye. Any opposed? It's so interesting that right after Moses begins pleading with the Lord, show me your ways, that I may know you, that we may find favor in your sight, the Lord says, my presence will go with you, and in my presence going with you, I will give you rest. He directly ties his presence to the rest that they will ultimately find in him. So the people could have gone on here with the angelic escort, with the promise of protection into the land of milk and honey, but without the presence of God, there is no rest. Our rest comes from his presence. As Augustine wrote in his Confessions, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. I think all of us have experienced that, have we not? Think about this now. Our rest is not ultimately found, and no, hear this. Our rest is not ultimately found in the removal of unpleasant circumstances. Our rest is not ultimately found in the increase of pleasant or easy circumstances. The rest from our soul, for our soul, the rest for our soul, is found in the presence of God regardless of our circumstances. Amen. I could go on a two-month vacation, not have to do a thing, relax to my heart's desire 
and my heart could be as equally restless as it was before I left. Because the rest for our souls isn't ultimately found in the removal of unpleasant or hard circumstances and in the increase of pleasant or easy circumstances. Our rest is found in the presence of the Lord alone. Some of you are like, now, try me on that two-month vacation. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> We're desperate for his presence because it's the only in his presence that we find rest. This is why Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 is so inviting. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The rest is found in coming to him. The rest is found in his presence. Early this morning, just reading through this part of the sermon, I had this picture of a baby you know, and, uh, you know, someone in your friend group or in your family has a newborn, and uh, a newborn often gets just passed around the circle, and a newborn baby can grow restless and scared and begins to cry, but there's something powerful that happens when that newborn baby comes back into the presence of their mom and the rest that comes over their soul. I think about the times in Scripture we see the command, fear not, Fear not. And then what's all, what often follows that command in Scripture? Fear not. Fear not, for I'm with you. In Scripture, we don't see often, fear not. And here's all the, the reasons why the circumstance you're in is about to change. No, it's just fear not, for I am with you. The rest comes from his presence. So we're desperate for God's presence because we long to receive his rest. And so Moses says, show us your ways that we may know you and find favor. God says, my presence will go with you and you will, you will receive rest. But Moses is still pretty worked up here. And look at what he goes on to say, even after what God has said here in verse 15. He said to him, Moses is saying back to God now, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? We are desperate for God's presence because, one, we need to know him more and more. Two, we long to receive his rest. Thirdly, he is what ultimately sets us apart. You know, the church of the living God is to be the set-apart ones. What ultimately sets us apart? It is the presence of God. He says something so important here. The only thing this people has, Moses is saying this to God, the only thing that we have is that we are your people. Moses knows there's nothing inherently special in and of themselves without the presence of God. The only distinguishing aspect of them as a people is that they are God's people. And they need God's presence. Without that, they're nothing. 
What a reminder for us. What sets us apart as the people of God? It is the presence of God with us. Without His presence with us, there's nothing that distinguishes us from any other people on the face of the earth. But here's the good news now. The moment one declares faith in Jesus Christ, the moment one has repented and turned from their sin and embraced Jesus as their Savior, has believed on his name, has been given the Spirit of God, we now go in life with the Spirit indwelling us. The only thing that distinguishes us in this world is the Spirit of God with us. It is not our skills and abilities that, all, that, that make us distinct. It is not how much we have or how much we don't have that distinguishes us. We are set apart as God's people purely by the fact that God's presence is in us and God's presence goes with us. I love this passage in Acts chapter 4. It says, Now when they saw, when the group saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Don't you love that? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Translation. When this crowd of people saw the average nature of these men and yet saw the spiritual power at work through them, they said, these guys have been in the presence of Jesus. The distinguishing feature of Peter and John here was that they had been in the presence of the Messiah. May the distinguishing feature of our lives be the evident nature that each day we walk having been in the presence of the Lord and we walk, in the, we walk in step with the Spirit of the Lord, letting His presence actively guide our day. What else will distinguish us? And when we walk in step with the Spirit like that, it affects every aspect of our day. How we get up, and love the people God will bring into our path today. How we get up and attack the tasks that God has laid before us today. It affects everything when we allow his presence to be at work in us and through us. And so Moses pleads with the Lord. The Lord comforts. He gives confidence to Moses that he will go with them. And after the Lord comforts, Moses makes this bold request to the Lord. Look at what he says here in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now here's the bold request from Moses. Moses said, please show me what? Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all, this is God replying, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for a man shall not see me and what? And live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. We are desperate for God's presence. Fourthly, why? Because we desire to see his glory. Moses said, show me your glory. An absolutely bold request. And that the Lord, and yet the Lord will allow Moses to get a glimpse of this glory. And yet he says, you cannot see my face. No one can see the face of God and live. Man, what does this statement say about the holiness, about the greatness, about the majesty of God? Man, if you, came to, if you came to church today and you're dry in your faith and it feels like you're just kind of spinning your tires and you don't know where you're going and you needed a shot in the arm today, think about that. No one can look squarely on the face of God and live. What does that say about his holiness? What does that say about his greatness? What does that say about his majesty? That to look full on upon his face, we die on the spot. But Moses asked to see his glory, and the Lord makes a way for him to get a glimpse of this glory as he passes. We are desperate for God's presence because we desire to see his glory. Now, we must be a people all about the glory of God. We try here to talk often about the glory of God. But what is the glory of God? What exactly is Moses asking for when he says, show me your glory? Uh, let me steal from John Piper, who gives a definition of the glory of God. But even before he gives the definition of the glory of God, he goes on a long, a long section of how impossible it actually is to define the glory of God. And yet, nevertheless, to try to get an understanding, here, here's how John Piper defines God's glory. The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. Manifold meaning many or various. So the glory of God is the infinite beauty and infinite greatness of God's many and various perfections. So now, if we take that definition, think about what Moses is asking when he asks God to show him his glory. Moses is saying, God, will you reveal to me the infinite beauty and infinite greatness of your various perfection? And God says, if I did that, your heart would stop on the spot. If I did that, you would die. But God in his goodness, who longs to show his glory, says, I'll let you catch a glimpse of my glory as I pass by. Now, here's the reality. No one can experience the glory of God and be left unchanged. Do you agree with that? No one can experience the glory of God and be left unchanged. And today, we can experience the glory of God in a truly life-changing way. How so? How so? 
I, I want to take this and I want to go on a bit of a, uh, walk us down a New Testament path to see uh, what a privileged seat and privileged vantage point we get on this side of the cross, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says this, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? In Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All of this infinite greatness and infinite holiness and the, the various and many ways of God's perfections, all of it was pleased to dwell in Jesus Christ. Now, here's where it gets really good. And here's what we're celebrating one week from today. John 1 tells us this, and the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. You following me now? If all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus, and Jesus was pleased to come dwell in us, look at what John goes on to say. And we have seen his, we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're on it now. The fullness of God pleased to dwell in Christ. Christ pleased to dwell with us. And thus we see the glory of God in its fullness revealed in the Son, Jesus Christ. And this is exactly what 2 Corinthians 4 tells us directly. What Pastor DJ said during his prayer before this very time. He says, for God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You want to see the glory of God in its fullness? Look to the face of Jesus Christ. You want to be able to look to the face, to the face of Jesus Christ? Believe in him as your savior today. And the power of the Spirit of God in work in our heart allows us to look at the fullness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Moses longed to see the fullness of the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the fullness of the glory of God. The Holy Spirit draws us to look upon Jesus as the fullness of God. And when we do, we can't stay the same. We won't stay the same. When you have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, it changes us forever. So we're desperate for his presence because we desire to see his glory. Now, can I tell us something? You're like, yeah, that's what you do while you're up there. So <laughs> The church has spent far too much focus on, try to, on trying to figure out how we become relevant to the culture. The church has spent far too much focus on how we can grow in entertaining people. The church has spent far too much focus figuring out how we capture people's attention. We don't need entertained. We don't need to figure out how the church captures attention. If you're here for entertainment, I promise you Dave and Buster's up the road will be way more fun, okay? That's not why we're here. You know what we need when we gather church? We need to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. We need the presence of God. 
We need to encounter him in such a way that that if you've walked in here today never having believed in Jesus, you see him in his glory today and you believe and it changes you forever. We need, even if you are a believer, even if you've walked with him for day after day, decade after decade, when we gather here, we need the presence of God to shape us for another week, to lead us in another week. And when we are encountered by the presence of God, you know what happens? We worship. We worship. Look at what happens here as we get into Exodus 34. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Verse 8, And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and what? And worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, Please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. We're desperate for God's presence because, lastly, when he manifests his glory, it leads us to worship. Will you just look again at the words of verse 9? Will you look at the prayer of Moses here and will you see how God has answered that prayer fully in the gospel? Now, if I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we have now found favor in the sight of a holy God because we've been robed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For it is a stiff-necked people. Guess what? That's not only true for them. We walked in here today, apart from the work of Jesus Christ in our life, a pretty stiff-necked people. You with me on that? I'm as stubborn as they come. I want what I want. I want, I want it when I want it. There are, there are ways God says, Brock, I want you to go this way, and I, and I fight against it. I pull against the yoke, the light and easy yoke in which he's leading me. And yet, in the midst of this stiff-necked people, God, through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, has pardoned our iniquity and our sin. Praise the Lord. 
He says, I'll, I'll come down and I will, I will dwell with a stiff-necked people whose sin has been pardoned by the blood of my son. And then Moses said this, take us for your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 promises us the moment we believe we are given the Holy Spirit who is a seal guaranteeing our inheritance with him one day. Praise the Lord. That this prayer, Moses brings before the Lord in Exodus 34 verse 9 is fully satisfied in the good news gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And when we see his glory like that, we worship. Our greatest need is for God's presence to go with us. And so in light of that, just stand where you are. We built some time to worship on the back end of this message because as we encounter the glory of God today, the fitting response of his people is that we would sing our praise and worship back to him. Let's sing together.